Scott Porter here. Not the one from the 2008 movie, Prom Night. But I was on Ghost Asylum, Haunted Towns, Ghostland, Tennessee, Haunted Live, all those fun things. And got a new show coming out too. So anyway, but I did want to give you just a small, friendly piece of advice. Um, don't go out there. Just don't do it. Don't go out there. Not a good idea. In a world where zombies, ghosts, serial killers, and vampires all exist, it's Nico, Brian, Mike, and Dustin, and they are all that stand between you and the films that could end the world. Welcome to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Review Podcast. Just want to thank all our fans and listeners. I really appreciate all support. Before we get into tonight's film review, I just want to give a quick shout out to our website, don'tgooutthere.com. Uh, Brian's done a fantastic job with it. Uh, we have all of our episodes and interviews on there. Uh, if you want to check out any of our old or our new episodes whenever they drop, you can check out our website. And as we've mentioned many times in the past, we've done several incredible interviews. We have an interviews tab. Uh, it's really easy to find the interviews there instead of through like Spotify or iTunes if you want to check those out. Uh, big shout out to our store. We got some new t-shirts out, some pretty awesome ones, honestly. Like a, We got some like throwback PlayStation ones. I would definitely check those out. They're super cool. And we have Shan's Etsy page attached as well. Her tumblers are selling like hotcakes. Uh, check out the website and, and grab some new merch or some new apparel. And you know, we've got our blog called Under the Mask where we've all wrote some think pieces. And we, I want to shout out our social media links as well. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Uh, we love interacting with our fans. We love connecting with new people, talking about horror, reading your comments and questions on the show. So definitely follow us, like us, subscribe us, all that good stuff. And the last thing I'm going to shout out is our what we call blood donors. It's our form of a Patreon. Uh, we have the traditional monthly reoccurring kind. It helps us out a great deal. None of that money goes into our own pockets. It goes directly back into the podcast. Uh, site hosting, uh, uh, what a Zencaster, you know, everything that you donate goes directly back into the show. And we also have one-time donations. You're a big fan of a movie, want us to review it. Uh, those, those tiers are available as well. And before we close out Horror re Remake Reboot Month, we got an exciting announcement. If you listen to our Stranger Things reaction show, we announced it there. We're going to announce it one more time on the weekly review. Big fan of the show, Kevin Scanlon. Uh, he's kind of a new fan, honestly, considering how long the show's been out. But talking about, he said he listened to all of our 200-plus episodes in like six months. So that's absolutely incredible. Uh, he's become a really good friend to all of us on the show. And we've decided to add him to our team. He's joined us. He's going to be helping us with talent acquisition. Um we just want to give a big shout out to Kevin. Uh, thank you for being a big fan and a big friend of the show. And now you're on the team and we're super excited to have you, brother. Absolutely. All right, let's close Love out that. Reboot Remake Month with Brother Dustin's pick. Go ahead and announce your pick, brother. Yeah, man. Uh, first of all, I want to say a couple things. Um, I'm, I'm currently on the tail end of health and safety protocols. So if you hear me coughing, I'm going to try to mute it. But uh, I've been dealing with COVID for like the past week. So sorry if I sound funny. Second of all, it's thundering here really bad. I might lose power tonight. I don't know if you hear thunder in the background. It's not Garth Brooks. It's just, you know, it's real deal. But uh, I picked uh, Prom Night. It's the uh, the remake of the, I believe the original came out in what, 1980? 
Um, yeah, starring uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. I, I picked the 2008 remake starring Brittany Snow. Um, I'm not going to lie. I watched this movie years ago for one reason and one reason only, and that's because Brittany Snow was in it. And it's a horror movie, so I thought, hey, do we get do we get to? But um, I was disappointed at the time, but I watched the movie. And I remember back in the day, like this was an okay movie to me, but boy, did this movie age horribly, in my opinion, to me. Um, it doesn't help that I've been bored in the house and I've been in the house bored. So I've had a lot of time to watch movies lately. I've watched this movie like three times in the past week and it just keeps getting worse every time. So I, I know this is one of those weird occurrences where the host that picks the movie is going to be the one bashing it. And I have a feeling that I'm going to be the only one as they're going to defend it. Um, they liked it a lot more than me, I think, but hopefully the listeners did too. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm crazy. All right. I'll go next, Brian. Uh, I had only seen this movie once, maybe twice before this week in a rewatch. Didn't really remember it too much, honestly, but I remember, you know, kind of liking it. And after my watch too, you know, I, I I still like it. I mean, I don't, I honestly don't see how it got the 3.9 rating on IMDb. We have reviewed way worse movies in my opinion. And, uh, and across other, you know, what, what would you call it? Like rotten tomatoes, stuff like that. I don't see how the movie was considered that bad, honestly, considering some of the other stuff we've done. <clears throat> Rubber, how it got over a five on IMDb blows my mind, but this got 3.9. But anywho, uh, I think we've all kind of made it our our mission or whatever to check out the originals before we did the remakes if we hadn't seen them. And I honestly thought 1980 Prom Night was pretty damn terrible, honestly. thought the movie was awful. Had a, had a good premise. I like the premise of the movie, but... The execution I was not a fan of. Now, uh, what I'm saying, I hope doesn't equate to I love this movie because I don't. I just think I think Brian's going to use this this phrase as well. It's a good little popcorn horror. It's a quintessential 2000s teen horror movie. Uh, but that's what I consider. It's just a good little fun movie that's never going to win any awards or anything. But I think I think it's just okay. It's a, it's not something that if I'm asked to rewatch, it, I'm going to like dread it. But uh, go ahead, Dustin. Yeah, and you mentioned that. I meant to mention that as well. I did. I rewatched the original. I say rewatched. I didn't think I'd ever seen it. And I clicked play, and I instantly remembered because of that opening scene with the, the little girl or the little kids in the uh, this abandoned schoolhouse there. So as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, yeah, I have seen this. Now, I agree that this one is better, quote, unquote, than the original. Oh, no, no, wait. Sorry. I got that backwards. I told you guys the other day. I think that the original is a little bit, quote, unquote, better than this one. But we're talking like a half a point separates them in my ratings. So it's like splitting hairs. It's not like it's uh, better necessarily. It's just different. And I, I chalked it up to that one is a uh, is a sign of the times. Like it's very 1980s feeling when you watch it. This one is just bad. Like it logically doesn't make sense. I've got a lot of critiques in our breakdown. So it's a different kind of bad, but they're both stinkers. <laughs> well, I, I actually think, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I think Mike is in the same boat as you, Dustin. Uh, me, on the other hand, I'm kind of in the same boat as I was, you know, with uh, with the Amityville horror remake as I am with this one. And I know that puts me in the minority, I think, with, with horror fans in general. Uh, maybe not so much my co-hosts, but horror fans in general, I think, like the original Prom Night much more than this. 
maybe the maybe the lore of Jamie Lee Curtis. I don't know. I'm not real sure why either. I'm, I, I totally agree with you, Nico. Um, I'm just going to be honest. I, I didn't like the original at all. If I had to rate the original right now, I'd give it a 3, 3.5 probably, something in that range. I was very, very bored watching it. Um, and this one I thought, like like Nico said, is a fun little popcorn flick. I had the exact same thing written down. Um, I like that they didn't totally remake it. In fact, I'd say of all the remakes that we've done this month, this one showed very, very little resemblance to the original. Yeah, uh, actually, hell, besides taking the name, is there literally anything about the original that's lifted from this? Or lifted? I, I don't know. I, yeah. I don't know. Anyway, and I think that was a great choice. I think the cast did a, a good job. Uh, the body count's high. We said it last week, but the same guy, J.S. Cordon, who wrote the Stepfather remake, wrote this one as well. And and uh, actually, the first first time I watched this, I was a little bit in the same boat as Dustin. You know, I'll just I'll do like Cordon though, and and keep this one PG thirteen. But and I'll just say that I was very disappointed with it the first time I watched it <laughs> back in two thousand and eight, uh, when I was twenty four with a huge Britney Snow crush like Dustin. Uh, but I really enjoyed it a lot more this go around, and my score will reflect that. Say so one of the things that's funny is you said you'd probably give the original like a three, three and a half. Yeah. Uh, here's the funny thing: I would too. So what's that tell you? Yikes! Yikes! <laughs> Yikes! Uh, it is also worth mentioning that I watched the uncut version of this movie, and I own the uncut version of this movie. So I'll try to kind of touch on the differences throughout. Um, but it's kind of like the stepfather one. I mean, there's not really a ton of of stuff different. And the other, the last thing I wanted to say is. I kind of wanted to just touch on toxic fandom for a little bit, for a second. Like, it, like almost everything out there about this remake is is just pure hate. Like, I, I don't know about y'all, but I mean, I, I had a hard time finding anything productive out there that wasn't just like, eh, this isn't the original, or eh, it doesn't have Jamie Lee, or eh, it's not the same story. Like, what's the issue? I don't get it. But anyway. Yeah, none of that contributed to how much I dislike this movie at all, so... It could have been a shot-for-shot shot remake, and it'd still suck. <laughs> All righty, y'all got any more opening thoughts where you just jump into the scene-by-scene? Scene? All righty, let's get it, dude. The film starts with a title card over a camera shot over the water with opening credits. Donna is dropped off and thanks the ladies for taking them to the movies. She says she's probably going to skip cheerleading this year. She walks into her house and yells, I'm home. She walks around calling out for her dad, but we, he, but we see he's slumped over on the floor in front of the couch with blood all over his hand. She trips walking into a bedroom over a baseball bat. She calls for Joey and sees he's been killed. Donna hides under the bed and a man yells, Where is she? to Donna's mother as the man pins her down and stabs her to death. Donna watches her mother's death and they make eye contact as she dies. She runs out calling for the cops as Fenton appears behind her. I did it for us. And Donna snaps out of it. She's talking to her therapist about this nightmare. She tells Donna to treat him as just a phantom. He's been caught and put away, and she's doing great for it only being three years. The only place he can hurt you is in your dreams. The memories of that night will come and go, but you'll never forget it, she tells Donna. Donna is now at the hairstylist, and she's asked about what color dress she has, and she and her girlfriends begin to chat about their dates. Donna is jump-scared when she sees the man in her mirror. Her friends ask if she's okay as she snaps out of it. Donna is all dressed up and stares at her bottle of pills. She puts them back in the cupboard as she's jump scared in the mirror. Aunt Karen asks Donna if she's quit taking her pills. She says she has for a week so she's not numb tonight. She wants to remember her prom. The doorbell rings. Her date is here and she's very excited. 
Bobby is speechless when Donna walks downstairs and he tells her she's beautiful. They each put their corsages on and take pictures together. Bobby tells Uncle Jack he has nothing to worry about as the aunt and uncle kiss her goodbye. They get into the limo and all begin to have fun, taking pictures, hanging out of the sunroof. We're at the prom now as the kids walk down a red carpet to go take more pictures. We see the kids have also snuck a keg into the party. Detective Wynn calls another prison about Fenton's escape. Three days later, he's finally notified and he's pissed. He tells the other officer about Fenton's murder of the family and his obsession with Donna. Donna identifies him at the precinct. We're going to be together forever, Fenton says over and over. Wynn thought he was going to get death, but the jury gave him insanity. We see Fenton kill his cellmate and escape through the roof. Wynn leaves the station. Donna's limo makes it to the red carpet and all her friends exit the limo and are in awe of this building. We see Fenton is in the prom building as well, and he watches Donna kiss Bobby. Chrissy and Lisa exchange some insults about their prom dresses. Miss Waters tells Lisa she does she really does look beautiful and she's going to win. The group walks in and they're amazed with this prom setup. They all go to the dance floor and begin to dance and have fun. The desk receptionist talks to Fenton as Ronnie walks up getting keys for them and Fenton tells the worker he'd like to be on the third floor with them as well. Ronnie hands out room keys as Lisa tells him the girls are going to their room to freshen up. The girls are all on the elevator as these creepy dudes all hit on them and we see Fenton hiding behind them watching. The girls go in their room, and we see Fenton uh, scratch up his room key, and he calls for a maid to help. She uses her master key to open the door, and she walks away, but he asks for some extra towels. She puts the towels in his room, and he now appears, stabbing her to death, and he takes the master key. All right, Brian, that's the opening set of scenes. What do you think? Yeah, bear with me here. I have a lot. This is like the first 25 minutes of the movie here, and kind of a lot happens. Um, but, but I love the opening. And, and, and I say this in my closing, I touch on it a little bit, but I'll go ahead and say it here. This movie has a throwback 90s feel to me, which is probably why I like it so much. Uh, starting out with what is basically the I Know What You Did Last Summer opening. Uh, but immediately it, it, it comforts me. I know that's weird to say, but uh, I feel at home now watching that. With that opening song, you know, kind of going over the waves, I, I know immediately like, okay, I'm going to get a slasher with people who are almost 30 years old playing teenage kids in an unrealistic <laughs> high school setting. Uh, boom, I'm happy. I mean, by the way, Porter was like 29, I think, on this role. So, And I know everybody else knows him as Jason Street and Friday Night Lights, but my wife is a huge Heart of Dixie fan, so shout out to George Tucker for the zero people listening right now who watch that show. But the opening... Uh, joke on you, I've never seen either. Yeah, yeah well, there you go. <laughs> um, the opening is great. And, and, you know, uh, this was a personal conflict with, with just me, but like uh, Jonathan Sheck, who plays Fenton, two-time DGOT veteran, by the way, was in Sleepy Hollow, but also my guy Jimmy in That Thing You Do. But here's the thing. Like, I felt like he was almost too pretty for this role. Like, even with the <laughs> Charles Manson beard, I know that's weird, but the conflict comes in because, like, you know, they explain it away as a former teacher. I'm like, okay, okay, I can see that part. And part of me buys the explanation, part of me doesn't, but he's just not creepy enough to me. Like, I mean, heck, real life is like that, though, sometimes, you know, hence my inner conflict. So no offense, Jonathan Sheck, you're just a beautiful son of a bitch, I guess. What can I say? All right, so a few noticeable fuck-ups I saw here. Like, when it shows Donna's bottle of pills, uh, the label says uh, clonopin. The correct spelling is clonopin. Um, so great job there, set designers. Um, also, I laughed at uh, Fenton's fucking Marvel MCU disguise. 
Like that's kind of, that's kind of a joke with the yeah. Uh, yeah with the MCU that anytime anyone's undercover, they just put on a plain fucking hat. Which I don't even know if those things exist. I don't think I've ever seen anybody wear a plain fucking hat. But as far as the differences in the uncut version, we really only get some extended shots of like Donna's dead dad's hand and uh, one extra shot of Fenton stabbing the maid in the side, which all doesn't matter because they don't bleed anyway. And, uh, you know, lastly, props to director Nelson McCormick and the cinematographer uh, Checo Varse. The movie is shot beautifully. Um, I have no complaints besides cutting away for the kills, but that's the PG-13 aspect, you know, and nothing really to do with the way it's shot. All in all, like, that's my only gripe with this set of scenes, and really the whole movie is showing the bodies with, like, little drips of blood on their shirts. It's kind of fucking hilarious. It's 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 lunacy, like, if you ask me. To be, to be, yeah, you're asking me to believe that someone who's been stabbed multiple times looked like they got stabbed with a fucking toothpick once in the chest or something. So, anyway, go mm. ahead, Dustin. Hmm, it's almost like it's not a very well-made movie. Anyway, so... Uh, get off my dick. Whatever. Uh... <laughs> I don't want to hear that shit. We've we've seen PG thirteen. We've done PG thirteen movies on this show that have had way better dead bot looking dead bodies and effects. That's my gripe. Can't think of one right now because CTE. But I'll I'll get back to you. <laughs> um. So anyway, this set of scenes. So we get a great cover song to open. I'm always a fan of horror movies using covers of old songs by rock like rock band covers of old songs. So this one we get. Uh, a song by the zombies called time of the season. Uh, it's covered by the Ben Taylor band. Great. That song's from 1968. It was, re- it was covered in 2003. That stuff just that I like that in soundtracks, especially to open a movie. Yeah. Anyway. Um, I love how when the, when Lisa's Lisa's mom pulls up at uh, her Donna's house, I love how the Ford logo is missing. Like we can't tell that that's an Explorer. It's like they clearly did that because, you know, they didn't want to pay for it or there was no advertising agreement to come to. So they're like, we'll just pop the logo off. That's an explorer. Come on. Um, I didn't even notice that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I watched this movie, like I said, like three times in the past week. So, um, I, you know, we see dad's dead body there. And I tried to figure out what football game he was watching. There's this guy on TikTok. I can't remember his name, but uh, people suggest episodes or movies and that show a brief snippet of a TV and he figures out what sporting event they're watching. And I tried to do that for this and I couldn't do it. But um, anyway, we see dad's dead body and just very little blood. It's like he had a little ketchup packets worth on his throat and his hand looked like he had been uh, digging around in some red clay and that's it. But you know, that's how this movie goes with that. And I get it. It's PG 13, but so five minutes into the movie now and we get a whole dead family. But there's not any good kills. And again, that's a common theme because it couldn't be too gory, uh, PG-13, whatever. And uh, I'm okay with this being a flashback. Like, usually that pisses me off. But I was okay with it in this instance because she's, you know, turns out she's talked to her therapist about the dreams she's having, recurring nightmares of something that actually did happen. So at least it's not like she's having premonitions or dreaming something that never happened. Like, this is real. So I'm fine with that. Um, When I do like when they're... uh, at the hair salon, they're sitting there in the chairs. Um, in that scene, the original Myers house from the original Halloween movie from 1978 can be seen outside the window. And it's kind of cool because Jamie Lee Curtis, like we said, was in the original prom night. And she was obviously in the Halloween uh, franchise as well, including hey, that original movie. Hey, Dustin, did you know that that's actually like, I think it's, a, I've read that it was a chiropractor's office now. I mean, can you, 
like, do, can you imagine? I think that that that's how they're going to go in Halloween ends is that they're going to just it, take a time jump and then just have Myers go and, you know, open a chiropractor's office. And I think that's I think that's the way to go. I think that's definitely that. I mean, that's that's just about as logical as him, you know, driving across the country. So that makes sense. <laughs> um, one of the a pet peeve of this movie has way too many stupid jump scares. And when I say stupid jump scares, like Aunt Karen sneaking up behind her in the mirror right here, like that one was stupid, especially if you look at Aunt Karen's face, like she looks menacing as hell until Donna gets scared. Then she's like, oh, I'm sorry, didn't mean to scare you. But she had a, like a mean mug look on her face. It's like, what the fuck was that about? Um, <laughs> the medication. So you mentioned the misspelling of Klonopin, Klonopin. I have to imagine that was the same similar thing to the Ford logo being missing. Like that had to be intentional, right? Oh, yeah, like, good point. I don't know. I don't know. But, um, you know, the, the medication bit was kind of pointless to me. It felt like they're, if they're going to introduce, like, she's medicated and been off her medication, like, that should have been a sub storyline. Like, maybe at prom, she's the one that figures out he's there before the cops show up. Good point. And nobody believes her because she's off her meds. Like, I don't know. It seems like it was all for naught. It was, it was too much meat left on the bone there and unnecessary as it turned out. Um, another thing. There ain't no fucking way my parents would have been okay with me getting a hotel room with a girl while I was in high school. I don't know about y'all and how y'all was raised, but even on prom night, my parents weren't like, yeah, go ahead and get a hotel room and just bang the shit out of your date. No. Like, I don't know. Maybe maybe that's the old man yelling at the clouds and me or, you know, get off my damn lawn. But that shit ain't happening. Well, I mean, um, unless this is like in fucking california rich california somewhere nobody's having a problem like that anyway much less at a fancy ass hotel like that i mean i sure didn't i was just at the fucking zoo <laughs> yeah well mine wasn't at the zoo but yeah and another thing is i really felt like these were the kids uh, like these kids went to the school from uh gossip girl uh don't worry about why i've seen it but those kids get away with anything they act like they're full-grown fucking adults and so that that lines up that kind of lifestyle going to the hotel and everything um i hated when we meet nash and win he's like when he goes that's detective win to you shut the fuck up stringer bell like oh man i like he just is a great actor but that line right there just really stuck in my crawl a little bit just that's detective win to you that's such a cheesy cop film line that he gives there um i like when you know they get to the prom and the teacher just confiscates a bottle of liquor and says, nice try. And that's it. Like that, that's it. That's all his punishment. He had a fucking bottle of liquor at 17 or 18 years old and you're an administrator and you just say, nice try. Come on. That ain't happening. Um, another, you mentioned the hat, the stock MCU disguise <laughs> that Fenton's wearing at the hotel. Yeah. Like, like that's not suspicious at all. Dude's wearing a fucking blazer and a black hat like that. Oh God. That pissed me off this entire movie. Um, we get terrible dialogue when the groups were on the steps heading into prom. And uh, the the one Regina George bitch, the, the mean girl, she's talking about Lisa's tits being out and Lisa's all like that's just, that was some terrible dialogue right there. Hated that. Um, we get an interesting line here from the uh, what was she? The gym teacher that says that. Lisa looks great and she's for sure going to win. Well, as they're walking off, the one girl says to Lisa, she's so in love with you. That's a weird thing to put in given the theme of this movie. Like the theme of this movie is a teacher falling in love with a student 
to the point to where she kills her whole family. And then you're just going to casually joke about another student or a teacher being in love with a student like that. That line was stupid. I know it was there and I'm looking way too much into it, but I'm nitpicking the hell out of this movie. It's ass. Um, yeah, it makes sense. I didn't know. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> when we get to, you know, they get over to the desk and third floor, blah, blah, blah. And then they ask him what floor he goes, third floor. Come on, dude. You already look like you belong on America's Most Wanted. And now you're going to just ca- <laughs> casually ask for the same floor. And that's not going to raise any uh, eyebrows. Uh, we get the fucking perverts on the elevator. What the hell was that about? These kids are clearly at prom and you're clearly like 50. And you're saying, hey, girls, you coming up to our floor? The party's with us. Like, that's fucking creepy. Didn't like that. And then, uh, you know, the... Uh, the maid, like she wasn't suspicious at all when he's like, uh, can you help me with my key? And like, he just, he, the way he talked and approached her and everything about him was creepy. And like, she wasn't the least bit suspicious just coming over. Yeah, I'll help you. Oh, this is crazy. Your key is all scratched to shit. This is completely normal. Like, no, I'm not buying it. Anyway, it's an okay set of scenes for, like you said, a popcorn, like a, a movie that you can introduce people to horror for and that's basically what this entire thing is all right detective Wynn is at uncle jack's house and he asks, where's Brittany?" and he says he's got to talk to him aunt karen drops her bowl in shock jack is fuming it took so long for them to be notified of his escape back to the dance floor and fenton is behind the stage watching donna donna asks lisa what's going on with claire and michael as she sees them fighting claire tells donna she needs to talk michael was pissing her off and her cramps are really bad Donna asks Bobby for the key to go get something, and he gives her the key after getting a kiss. Fenton fades into the shadows as she walks away. He walks behind her and disappears as she turns around and boards the elevator. A patrol car arrives at Jack and Karen's house. She's pissed they didn't go get her, but he makes his case. He doesn't want to set her back and all the progress she has made. Donna goes into her hotel room. She's weirded out and yells if anyone is here. She hears the door lock beep and she calls out for Bobby now as we see Fenton in the room. Donna is scared when she opens the door and Claire walks in. They begin to talk about Michael's issues and Claire says she's going to fix her face and come back down. She asks Donna how she's doing and she says she looks beautiful. Donna leaves the room and Claire goes into the bathroom. She takes the doll and begins to wash her face as we see Fenton walk past the door. Claire walks the room and she calls out for Michael now. Fenton appears and grabs her by the throat and slams her into a wall. He pins her to the ground and stabs her to death. Wynn calls Detective Nash and tells them to send some officers in plain clothes to make sure everything stays safe. He asks the receptionist if Fenton has checked in and about how many exits there are. Should I be concerned, he asks, and Wynn says no. The DJ puts on a slow song for Ronnie, and Bobby asks Donna if she wants to dance. She's visibly bothered, and she tells him she's thinking about going to state next year. She's not sure if she's ready to be that far from home. They could see each other all the time. He says he'd love that, but you got into Brown on a full scholarship. He says it's selfish of him for her to not go to Brown and get an Ivy League scholarship. She's scared the long-distance relationship won't work. She says she's scared of losing him and everything falling apart. He tells her she has nothing left to be scared of. Michael asks Donna, where's Claire? She says she's up in the suite, and he asks, doing what? He walks away pissed. Fenton looks through the camera and deletes the picture of Donna kissing Bobby as we see Claire's dead body by the bathtub. Michael walks into the room now calling out for Claire. Michael knocks on the bathroom door saying he's sorry and doesn't want to fight anymore. 
He walks away from the bathroom door and says he's going to wait until she comes out. He doesn't care how long it takes. He pours a drink and keeps talking to Claire. He goes into the open bathroom now and doesn't see her. He opens the closet thinking it's Claire. It's Fenton who jumps out pouncing on him and stabs him to death. All right, Brian, that was the next set of scenes. What'd you think? Uh, Dustin mentioned Idris, Idris Elba, but uh, man, this thing, it's got a sneaky good cast. I mean, in my opinion, I mean, Elba, you mentioned him. I mean, he's fantastic in everything he's ever been in. Now, does he make the best police decisions here? No. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, he's good in everything else he's been in. Um, his second movie, I think, that we've done of his, 28 Weeks Later. I don't know if there was another one, but uh, anyway, he's great. Um, and speaking of police work, though, come on. Like, the writers couldn't have come up with something better than not wanting to spoil Donna's prom night as a ludicrous justification for why they wouldn't just evacuate the premises, like, immediately? I would say all the deaths after the police get there and don't evacuate are on their hands, and their families have a nice little fucking lawsuit on their hands. Um, Jessalyn uh, Jilsig played Aunt Karen, who was also in the Stepfather remake we just did last week. Listen to that on uh, don'tgoother.com. But uh, he's, she's the only one with any sense here when she's asking Johnny Cage from 1995's Mortal Kombat, who's Uncle Jack, by the way, how the hell they couldn't just go get her ass? Like, you're right, Johnny Cage. Risking having your daughter having nightmares is worse than risking her being actually fucking attacked and having her friends killed. Yeah, great. Um, ludicrous, but but I love it. I don't know. I don't know why. I just, I did. Um, I didn't mind any of this stuff with Claire here. I think Jessica Stroop did a, did a good job here acting. Um, the last set of scenes... Uh, her arguing with Michael. I wasn't a fan of the dialogue. I think Dustin brought that up too. But here I think Stroop shows that it was just the writing and not her acting because I think she kills it with her performance here throughout like her whole death scene. Um, I thought it was pretty brutal for a PG-13 kill, although no blood spatter on his shirt. Drives me absolutely fucking insane. Um, so we can have pretty kick-ass sound work here with, with hearing the knife tearing the tendons, but no blood anywhere. The, the MPAA is so fucking stupid. Um, I think the unrated version is, is better here because of how it's cut. Um, she actually spots him a little bit earlier through a crack in the door, like right before right, one of the open doors of the rooms, uh, right before he walks around the corner. And you kind of get to see a little bit more uh, reaction shots from Claire um, with blood in her mouth, which isn't you know much, but it's better than, better than nothing. Um, and let me just say this. I appreciated the little character development with, with showing a little bit more of the prom. Um, that slow dance between Lisa and Ronnie. I think that helps reiterate a little bit that they're actually at the prom. And I appreciate this more uh, because it's only like 30 seconds long. Whereas that fucking disco scene in the original was like 15 minutes. Like I felt like I was watching Footloose. I mean, it was ridiculous. Um, now Michael's death though, I felt like was a little bit repetitive and it was kind of stupid as hell. Like that Claire's body was teleporting to different places. Uh, and there, there's not blood everywhere in the, in the bathroom. Um, it ruins this, the whole thing for me. Um, the only redeeming quality was him jumping out of the closet here. Um, I liked that shot, even though it's kind of a horror movie trope at this point. And, you know, there's only one more stab in Michael's death for the unrated version. So shirt's still clean. No blood anywhere. Fucking PG-13 horror movies, man. And the uh, it's just it's ridiculous. Go ahead, Dustin. All right. So uh, another thing that is annoying as shit to me in these movie in this movie is he keeps like sneaking up behind her and reaching for her or being right behind her and then disappearing. 
Like it's so, so stupid. He does it right here at the elevator. Yeah, like that's, there's no the, point that's in that. definitely the one time that it stood out to me too. There's no need for it because I mean, re- the audience is the only ones that can see that, so it doesn't build any real tension. The only thing it does is makes us a little uneasy, but it's not plausible or, or reasonable uh, uneasiness because she has no idea she's in danger. So I hated that. Um, and then you know they talk about. Uh, should we bring her home? No, no, no. That'll undo her progress. All the prog- Fuck the progress, man. Like her killer or her family's killer is escaped and on the loose. And you're worried about her progress. Like that, that wasn't logical to me either. Um, to me, they would have brought her ass home right then. Um, and another thing that bothers me is, okay, he's got the master key. He killed the maid, got the master key to all the rooms. Why the fuck wouldn't he just wait in the room? And then as soon as, uh, like as soon as they exit, and then when she enters the next time, he doesn't know when that's going to be. But when she enters the next time, he can just kill her then or have her then. She re-entered the room at 30 minutes. Boom, the movie's over. Like, that that's uh, that's stupid to me, too. Why would he go back downstairs and watch her for a while and then follow her back upstairs, hide in the room a little bit, do the hokey pokey with all these motherfuckers? No. Um, another thing. So why kill Claire? Like, all of his murders have been kind of calculated or have been very calculated. Like, he killed her family so she would have no one she would need him. He killed the maid because he needed that master key. He killed the person, we find out later, with the rental car so that he could have a rental car. But why kill Claire? Like, she posed no threat to their potential relationship, as sick as that sounds to say. Um, she served no purpose in her death other than just to show that he, like, to me it doesn't line up with his character. He's not a lunatic like he's not a serial killer he's killing a family because he wants her so i don't, I don't know i've in that same thing is gonna like i say the same thing about the rest of the deaths that aren't uh really necessary or logical um she talks about you know when she they go back to the prom and she's telling her boyfriend she talks about wanting to go to state with him and she's like no, you need to go to Brown. I'm glad that she ended up going to Barden University and becoming a uh, Barden Bella in the acapella group. So she made the right decision there. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, when he killed Michael, that's another kill that's just like illogical. Like you're hiding in the, and, and then he did this stupid cat and mouse thing with him where he's in, he knows that someone's in the bathroom and then, oh, the bathroom door's open. Oh, there's no one in the bathroom. And then he's in the bathroom and he sees the closet door closed. Oh, there's no one in the closet. What the fuck's going on? Like, I hate that. And then you're telling me, so Claire and Michael were screaming bloody murder while they were being stabbed. You're telling me no one can hear the screams, like their their neighbors or nothing like that? Because that's not sex screams. That's not jumping on the bed pillow fight screams. Like, that was pain screams. So someone that's in a surrounding room or walking down the aisle or hallway there would have called the front desk, I think, maybe. But anyway... That's just me. Um, a lot of nitpicks in this set of scenes. It's not unwatchable, but it's just not very well done. The DJ tells the crowd that he's taking a quick break and they're going to see a yearbook on the screen. Rick asks Chrissy to come upstairs, but she says she wants to see who wins King and Queen. She calls him dumb as they walk away. Donna asks Lisa why she cares so much. Lisa says it's about the respect of her peers but she confesses she wants Chrissy to know she just can't buy everything. Wynn shows Nash which one Donna is, and she's alive, and he wants to keep it that way. Ronnie tells the group he's going to miss them, as Donna makes it really sad, talking about how 
that most everyone here won't see each other ever again. The receptionist calls for Maria, but no answer. Another butler says he'll check when he goes upstairs. He calls for Maria as Fenton goes into his room. The butler asks him if he's seen Maria. He says she's in the room. He walks in and and Fenton pounces him, killing him as well. Ronnie and Lisa say they're going to go up to the suite and see what's taking Claire and Michael so long. Lisa and Ronnie go to get on the elevator as Fenton walks into her, and Lisa is shook. He looks so familiar, his eyes. Ronnie grabs her from behind romantically, pulling her back onto the elevator. Lisa tells Ronnie she swears she knows him from somewhere. Ronnie says, stop thinking about him and think about me as they lay in the bed and start kissing. Wynn's called to come to the parking lot. They think they found something. The DJ calls Miss Waters to the stage to announce prom king and queen. Wynn is shown this car with a dead man in the back, and the car belonged to this missing man from Woodburn. The body had no wallet, no money, no credit card, and he's revealed to be Howard K. Ramsey, the name Fenton used to check into the hotel. Lisa has a sudden realization who the man was in the elevator. She jumps up and yells, it's him, I gotta get to Donna. Ronnie is pissed, revealing he had a ring to propose. Lisa grows impatient on the elevator and runs to the stairs. Her heel on her shoe breaks and she falls down the steps. Fenton appears, asking why the rush, and he chases after Lisa with a knife. Bobby tells Donna no answer, so he goes to check on them. Fenton is still chasing after Lisa, who can't keep quiet. Fenton appears in front of her, and she takes off running again. She's now jump-scared by some birds in the building as she hides amongst these hanging plastic sheets. Lisa sees Ronnie on the elevator, who calls out for her. The elevator closes as she continues hiding. Ronnie goes on stage with the other Prom King nominees. Donna goes to try and find Lisa in the bathroom. Lisa continues to make way too much noise, revealing where she is. She runs until she's captured by Fenton and has her throat slit. And the next set of scenes are the ending. Go ahead, Brian. Yeah, I meant to mention this in the last set of scenes, and I know that I give PG-13 hell, but props to director Nelson McCormick for getting at least creative with that whole Michael kill. Um, all I did was talk shit about the kill, but there was a shot where you're like looking at Fenton sling you know, Michael's body around, like on the, on the ground, like after a stab while you're looking through his whiskey glass, that's on the ground. And I thought that was a beautiful shot. Also, I don't know if I'm supposed to hate Chrissy's date, uh, Rick, but I love the dude. Like, and I mean, okay, so come on, J.S. Cardone with that whole, like, if he's any dumber, I'd have to water him. Like, this is just such shitty dialogue that he wrote for Chrissy. I mean, come on, really? I won't say any more about it, but Cordon, come on, could have done better. <laughs> and you, you know what? Like, live right here on the show, I think it just hit me. Maybe I like this because it reminds me of Saved by the Bell. Like, if Saved by the Bell was updated with a PG-13 rating, like Zach and Kelly being Donna and Bobby, Slater and Jesse being Ronnie and Lisa, or maybe Michael and Claire being Jesse and Slater. Either way, uh, I don't know. Sorry, just another tangent. But there's a lot of similarities to me, and maybe that's why it got me. I don't know. I love Save by the Bell. Um, but Lisa's death sequence, I hate. Like it's well shot, but but I don't know. Like you talk about horror movie tropes, a fucking abandoned part of a building with construction plastic everywhere. It's just so played out to me. Uh, plus, I fucking hate how convenient it was that he was in the stairway and the damn elevator just wouldn't work for Lisa. Like, come the fuck on. Like, script doctoring, I'd have had him, like, do something to purposely fuck up the elevators and force her to take the stairs. Uh, kill her there, maybe. I don't know. It just, 
it would have made so much more sense at least. And and like I said, I hated the abandoned part of the hotel sequence with the birds jump scare. Um, and why would Lisa just run out of the room and not tell Ronnie that, Hey, it's a former teacher and bring him with you. Like that makes no, it makes no sense right there. Um, this is where the movie actually starts going downhill for me. Um, I would have rated it a lot higher on the enjoyment scale, like had this third act not really shat the bed for me. But the next set of scenes is worse. Go ahead. So, yeah, uh, they certainly do get worse going forward, Brian. Um, So in this set of scenes, we get another pointless kill. Like, why kill this hotel employee? Um, He asked if you saw his coworker. All you had to do was say no. But instead, you very suspiciously and creepily said, of course, she's in my room, turning down to bed. Like, the way he talks. They made him seem suspicious. So that's stupid. And then you brought him in uh, to your room and killed him. It's like he just has a thirst for blood now. It doesn't doesn't make sense. He was a teacher before who just got obsessed with one student. He wasn't killing a lot of people. Um, anyway, at the prom, they're going over the, like, the trivia for the prom guests or whatever. The one kid's uh, favorite high school class was social studies. Did you guys have a, a class called social studies in high school? No, that's a middle school or elementary school class. Fuck out of my face. What was runner up language arts? It's not called social studies in high school. They have different class names for them. So that was irritating to me. Um, <laughs> Fenton is damn near recognizable. So uh, like he doesn't look like the same person. So how did Lisa realize, oh, uh, it's the teacher. Like, how does she have that epiphany? Because he doesn't, I understand we only saw him for five minutes going into this. And she supposedly has seen him every day at school. So maybe, maybe, but he didn't even look like the same guy. And it was just a passing glance. But again, I agree with you, uh, Brian. Why the hell would she not tell her boyfriend, oh my God, that's the teacher that killed Donna's whole family. We got to go. She didn't spend any more time saying that as she's running towards the door than she would have run towards the door to saying, I got to go. So that's that's annoying. Uh, she done got herself killed because of it. I can't lie. Her falling down those steps. That's the most brutal thing in this entire movie. And that's like that made me hurt. Like I felt that because I've fallen down my steps that go uh, f- down into my garage when I leave my house. I've fallen down those steps like at least 10 times. So I feel you. That shit hurts. Oh, um <laughs> Why the hell were there pigeons in there? I get it. They're doing, they're remodeling, but it's not like it had busted out windows or anything. This is a nice ass hotel. So the fact that that pigeon jump scare, not only was it stupid, but why the fuck were there pigeons in there? This is apparently a floor that's in between the third floor and the, uh, the main floor where lobby where the prom's going on and there's pigeons fuck out of here. Um, and then I don't know about like, I don't know how important these damn kids are, but, the prom committee, the teachers, they would not wait on the nominees. They would not just sit there and stall for as long as they did before just announcing the winners and moving on. I don't care if the winner was missing. Like that's not how things work. You have a set amount of time that you have DJ for and you got to get them out of there. So they're not just going to waste time like that. Minor nitpick, but fuck it. That's all I got at this point. This movie's ass. Um, the, the best usage of blood that we get in this entire movie is right here though. Um, Lisa's death was, I'm guessing a throat slash or a slash with a knife somewhere. Um, we didn't see it. Camera was behind it, but at least we got the blood splatter. They could have done that for all the kills or used that much blood for all the kills and still got the PG 13, uh, rating. I'm sure of it. And, uh, so at least we got it here. That's 
something nice I can say about it. But yeah, I'm just I'm getting irritated at this point watching the movie. All right, here's the ending. Wynn and Nash ask the receptionist if a Howard K. Ramsey is registered here. Wynn and his partner open the door to the hotel room and go inside. They find the dead maid's body in the shower. Wynn tells Nash to get everyone out and find Donna. He's here. Wynn pulls the fire alarm and Detective Nash tells the crowd they must exit the lobby. He tells them they're not kidding. They must leave. Chrissy grabs the paper and tears it up when she sees that Ronnie and Lisa won king and queen. Donna asks Chrissy and Rick what's going on. She says she's got to go back to her room to get her mom's shawl. Ronnie and Bobby ask Nash why they're looking for Donna as they tell him where she may be. Police and fire department show up now. Donna goes into her suite now, calling out for Lisa and Claire. Jump scare as she backs into a lamp. Fenton is right behind her as she reaches into the closet. She sees Fenton now as she goes to leave the room. I've missed you, he tells her. Donna locks herself away from Fenton, who now uses a fire extinguisher to break the door down. She's hiding under the bed again. Donna almost yells when she sees Claire's dead body under the bed with her. Rick tells Wynn Donna went back to her suite to get something. Wynn takes off running. Fenton has her mother's shawl and sets it on the ground, and she takes off running and makes it to Officer Wynn and Nash. Wynn enters the room in pursuit. They look under the bed and find nothing. Michael's body falls out of a little cubby hole. Donna runs to Bobby and Nash has her and Bobby get in the cop car. Donna tells Ronnie Claire is dead. Wynn tells Nash, keep the house covered until I find this guy. Wynn has a SWAT team search each and every room. They've had every exit blocked. He couldn't have escaped. Ronnie looks for Lisa amongst the crowd. Nash gets Donna and Bobby to her Uncle Jack's, and Bobby says he wants to stay the night. Nash asks Jack how many entrances to the home, and he says, please say you found this animal as he walks away. The SWAT team finds Lisa's dead body now. Nash is parked outside the house, and Jack tells Donna, we're just down the hall if you need anything. She turns the news on and cries. She says they're dead. He killed them because he was trying to get to me. He tells her this is not your fault, and they're going to catch him. He holds her as she cries and says he's going to be there to watch over her. We see Ronnie now crying over the loss of Lisa. CSI searches the room as Wynn is asked about what to do with the press. They see blood dripping from the vent onto the bed. Wynn climbs into the ductwork as the butler's body is found. Wynn realizes that Fenton walked out right by him dressed as the butler. Wynn races away from the hotel telling Nash he's not at the hotel. He got away. Donna goes to the bathroom and takes her, me her meds. She closes the mirror and Fenton slams her head into the mirror. She wakes up in a panic as Bobby comforts her. She gets up and goes to the bathroom for real this time as Wynn can't get a hold of Jack and Karen. Wynn orders Nash to get inside and check it out. Nash sees that the phone lines have been cut. Donna takes her pills and closes the mirror, but no Fenton. She does see the window is open in the bathroom. She lies back down in bed. Wynn sees that Nash has been killed. Donna says thank you for staying to Bobby, who sees that he's been killed now. She backs away and hides in the closet. Wynn calls for Donna, but Fenton grabs her from behind, telling her to be quiet. Wynn is distracted when Karen screams after she sees a dead officer in the backyard. Donna bites Fenton's hand and makes a run but trips. Fenton is on top of Donna and goes to stab her, but Wynn unloads the clip in his chest, killing him. Donna climbs in bed with Bobby, crying out his name. Wynn hugs her, saying it's over. Jack and Karen hug Donna as more officers arrive in the end credits roll. What do you think of the ending, Brian? Nah, I mean, there's no getting around this. I think the ending stinks. Uh, I, I don't care for it at all. I think it's so much dumb writing. 
um, storytelling wise, uh, the way he killed Ransone and, and Bobby, huge characters in this movie off screen. I think that fucking sucks ass. Uh, Bobby went out like that. Really? Um, after the fire alarm is pulled, Donna rides the elevator to the third floor. When a fire alarm sounds, all elevators go to the first floor and stop working. So no one gets stuck in the elevator after a fire. Fitting breaking the hotel room door with a with a fire extinguisher. Seriously? Like this hotel has fucking doors made of sheetrock or something. Also, why wouldn't Donna lock the bathroom the, the yeah, the bathroom window when she finds it open? Like it's first of all, insane that the window was not locked already in this situation, but okay. Um, but she just woke up from a nightmare of being attacked in the bathroom, and there's a killer out there that's that's after you, and you just killed your and he just killed your friends. So lock, unlocking that, keeping it open, makes no logical sense to me. Uh, recycling the hiding in the closet trope from earlier with Michael, um, it's just parents not hearing any of the shit going on upstairs, and once they find the body, nobody goes looking for Donna, like. And how long it takes for parents to actually run up there was comical to me. Mm-hmm. It's like Cardone didn't know how to actually wrap this movie up. I don't know. It's just I very much dislike this ending. Um, I will end on a good note, though. Brittany Snow's acting during this third act. Her acting scared, crying, everything. I thought, amazing job, I felt. The only difference in the unrated and the rated here was the addition of like showing a few more takes of the two bloody bullet holes in Fenton's shirts um, as he shot. And uh, another close-up on Fenton laying dead on the floor. But really worth an unrated label, isn't it? Anyway, uh, go ahead, Does. <laughs> yeah, the ending is bad. Um, so why wouldn't Wynn, like, go find her right then? Like, when you find out that, uh, you know, he's in the hotel and he checked in using this name. Like, why you, 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 had a, you watched her earlier. You saw where she was sitting. You saw the group of people she was with. So why wouldn't you go to that group right then and try to find her or go to the teachers and at least like they didn't even alert the teachers what's going on. And I feel like that's something that they should have done because maybe they had seen her more recently. Um, I, I just have an issue with that. Like that's bad police work. That's not logical. And then there's alarms going off. Everybody's got to you got to get out and oh, forgot my mom's shawl. Mm, no, fuck that. Like you. You can't go, they wouldn't let you go upstairs. Like you said, number one, the elevators wouldn't work. But also hotel uh, officials or cops, teachers, someone would stop you and they wouldn't let you go upstairs. I have a hard time believing that. Um, Biggest pet peeve of the entire movie is in this set of scenes too. And it's one of those cat and mouse things when she is in the room and she reaches in the closet and gets her little clutch and her shawl. He reaches for her hair, but then when she bends down, you disappear. She stands back up. He's not there. Only to reappear right in front of her face five seconds later. Like, that was stupid. Stupid. Save us those five seconds. Just have her turn around and he, boom, he's there. Um, anyway. And they, this is just bad police work all around. When they get up to the third floor and she runs into the to them in, in the stairwell, they spent too much time with her saying, oh, what's wrong? What? Are you kidding me? He's here? Where? No, no. How you let him get away like that? That's bullshit. I hate the body falling out randomly. Uh, It happens a couple times here. Like the body falls out of the cabinet and the body body falls out of the ceiling. Like that's stupid. Um, If you're not going to show us the desk, we don't need to see these bodies. Um, Then we get 
to when they're when they're at her house or her aunt and uncle's house. How in the fuck did he manage to cut that phone line that's right outside Nash's car and he didn't see him? And if the argument is, well, he probably did that before Nash was sitting there. Then why does the movie still take as long as it did? He's already in the house at this point, you're telling me? And actually, no, he's not because, you know, he, he ends up killing Nash and the other cop. So bullshit. Like what kind of cop is Nash where he doesn't see someone sneaking up right outside his car window? Deputy Dewey would never. Um, why would he go inside and kill the boyfriend and then play hide and seek with her? Like he let her, she's in the bathroom. He kills the boyfriend. And first of all, the boyfriend didn't make a damn sound. He didn't move. He didn't realize, Oh my God, this is the guy. Um, he just, maybe he was asleep. Okay. But why? Okay. Biggest, biggest point here is why would he kill the boyfriend and then just wait or hide? That doesn't make any damn sense. And then when, uh, when is up in the room and he's, She's hiding in the closet. Like I, I do actually, I like that. It gives us the illusion that it's uh, Fenton sneaking up the stairs. She's in, hiding in the closet. It turns out Fenton's in the closet all along, and uh, the good guy's on the outside. But why the fuck would Aunt Karen scream like that? That was stupid. Um, I, that, that just annoyed me how she screamed. So Wynn runs out of the room. The biggest problem I have with that scream, though, is... Everyone that was in that room clearly heard that scream, right? Because Wynn turned around and ran out to see what the fuss was all about. However, when Fenton and Donna are going at it and Donna's screaming bloody murder, exactly. Wynn doesn't hear it in the, ho- in the hallway. He's walking around on his phone like, what happened? Who? I got an officer down, blah, 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 blah. I need backup. And he doesn't hear her screaming. So it's like that. Uh, it's like that. the walls and the doors made of that glass on Ace Ventura where it's soundproof if you're on the inside, you can't hear what's going on. Um, it's just, yeah, exactly. So it's 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 an annoying ending, but it fits the rest of the movie, in my opinion. Like, I don't think that they did anything that wasn't on course or on par with the rest of the movie here. Um, we get the tension of he's on top and he's got the knife. He's going to stab her. He's going to stab her because apparently Wynn can't hear shit. Oh, Wynn saves the day. We get the feel-good story. Is I guess as feel good as it could be um, with Donna and her aunt and uncle living and detective Wynn being the hero. But, um, but if you know who Stringer Bell is, you know, uh, he wouldn't be a hero. He's a real piece of shit. So other than that, I mean, it's, it's an okay movie. It's one of those movies. Like I said, you can introduce it to someone, you can show a teenager or a preteen and they're not going to be too scared, but it might like get them interested in, okay, that wasn't bad. Let's see what else is out there. So that's about as nice as I can be towards the movie. That's fair. I agree. Uh, any more final thoughts where you just jump into some social media comments and questions? All right, let's knock out Twitter first. Uh, new new member on the team, Brother Kevin Scanlon asked, or he commented, did I like it? No, not really. But I didn't hate it either. It was lackluster. Had a good opening scene, but the rest left a lot to be desired. His biggest downfall was it was that it was PG-13, so kills were pretty lame. It needed more of a twist too. Definitely better than the OG though. I can't. I can't dis. I can't argue with any of that. I would agree with that. Lackluster uh, is a very good yeah. word to use for the movie. Plus, what, have we ever used the word lackluster on this show? Like it. That's such a, a. Why haven't we said that before? Great. See, it's things like that. Why Kevin's on this team? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Patrick, Jacob, big friend of the show. Big shout out to him. Uh, by the way, go buy his book. It's 25, 25 or 15% off right now on Amazon, so go check that out. But he commented, <laughs> I hope you all are getting dressed up to record the episode. We should have done that. Threw on the, threw on the, you know, just went back to men's warehouse, got the three-piece suit again, just threw it on for the show. That would have been fun. <laughs> and as as Dustin, the, Dustin takes it back this time. That's right. Uh, and our last it, what the hell are you talking about? Take our tuxes back, brother, like you did last time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I know. I thought you were saying it like I didn't do that last time. I was like, no, I did. No, man. I'm I don't think we got a late like, charge. That's the only way I'm doing is if you're taking it back. <laughs> oh, okay. And the last comment we got on Twitter is from Numb Florida fan. He commented, <laughs> watch this a couple months ago. Pretty good movie. Okay. Yeah, okay. I respect it. Uh, let's jump over to Facebook now. <laughs> All right, this is a comment that I thought was pretty funny and accurate, honestly. Joey Keen commented uh, when I posted that we were doing prom night. He said, a.k.a. dancing and going back and forth between a hotel room. To be fair, if, if you were dating any of the people involved here, I believe you would be trying to go back to the hotel room, too. Just saying. Respectfully. Respectfully. <laughs> of course, always Respectfully. And a big fan of the show, Clayton J, he commented, how does this compare to y'all's prom night? Well, Brother Clayton, I did not go to my prom, either junior or senior, so I have no comment. (laughs) I went to three proms, and there was nothing like this. Yeah, no, mine weren't either. I had a good time at prom, but, uh, you know, my junior prom uh, is when I found out I was urged to strawberries. So after prom... We had oh, virgin strawberry daiquiris at the prom, and uh, I had a couple of them. That's when I found out I was allergic to strawberries. So after prom, we went bowling, and the uh, oh. night was cut short because I was itching. I had hives all over, and uh, I was speeding home, just hauling ass at 2 o'clock in the morning trying to get home, 2.30 in the morning trying to get home because I was itching so bad, and I ran over a white duck that was in the middle of the road. Um, oh so it was a very eventful night. <laughs> Uh-huh. I, I, it was so it was it was so weird to me that I ran over a white duck. Why was there a <laughs> white duck standing in the middle of the road at two uh, thirty in the morning? And like the, one of the feet was stuck in my grill of my car, and it cracked the grill. And uh, so that was traumatic all around. Go ahead. Best part of this review so far is that story. <laughs> oh. oh yeah, absolutely. I don't know if I've ever shared be- that story with you guys, but no, you I, haven't. I haven't you heard win. that one before. I've heard the Magic Johnson story before, but we'll move on. Um, <laughs> hey, yo. <laughs> all right, listen, let's go over to Instagram and knock it out real quick. Big fan of the show, Danny Cnaps commented. Uh, big shout out to Danny. I, I love her and Joe Black. Uh, she said, I love this movie. It scared me as a teen, and it still freaks me out now. After finally getting around to seeing the original, I enjoy the remake far more. Oh, Super yeah. fun high school style slasher. Admittedly, some of the character choices are fucking terrible, but this is still a movie I could throw on any time and enjoy. Can't wait for the review with the heart eye emojis. We appreciate your support, Danny. You're awesome. All the way from Canada, too. Yeah, we Big shout out. This movie wasn't very good, but I appreciate the support. <laughs> All right, that's, that's it for social media. Let's jump over to uh, fun facts. Uh, Brian, you want to go first? Yeah, sure. I only have two. Um Mike's girl, Scout Taylor Compton, was considered for the role of Donna before Brittany Snow was cast. And uh, uh, Jonathan Skate, Skek, God, I said his name earlier, I can't remember it now, 
But uh, the guy played Richard Fenton and uh, Jaina Kramer, who played April, actually met on the set of this movie and were married between 2010 and 2011. Interesting. So uh, I've just got two. Um, if you don't count Taurus Trap 1979, which was rated PG because PG-13 didn't exist then, or Cry Wolf, which came out in 2005, uh, it was edited to be PG-13, but the uncut R-rated version was later released on home video. And this is the distinction. This film has the distinction of being the first slasher film in history to receive a PG-13 rating. Uh, when a Stranger Calls, we previously reviewed, doesn't necessarily count as a slasher because it doesn't use knives. Um, and the unrated version of this only restores one minute of footage and none of it was bad enough to take it beyond PG-13. So this is a true PG-13 slasher movie. So whoopee. And then the only other thing I have is... Uh, the movie that Donna's younger brother is watching uh, before he's killed, like the movie is playing in his bedroom, is The Matrix from 1999. A far and above better movie than this one. Jesus Christ, you just compared The Matrix to Prom Night? Wow. <laughs> I didn't compare it. I mean, but it's like, you know, I know everybody says like apples and oranges, so you can't compare them. Well, this is like an orange that was grown in the Garden of Eden compared to an apple that's rubbed in dog shit. Wow. So you can't compare them. <laughs> Dustin right, did not I'll, like this movie. What what gave you that impression, Brian? I mean, <laughs> Andy picked it. Like we're defending his movie here. Yeah, it's like the hell's going on. <laughs> this I is my got... Army of the Dead. I picked it and it sucked. <laughs> I, I didn't pick. I don't know who picked Army of the Dead. Let's get out. Let's move on. I don't know yeah, either. I, mean. I only got one fun fact. <laughs> and speaking of movies, the movie Donna and Bobby are watching in her bedroom is Can't Hardly Wait from 1998, which oh, is about a guy who is obsessed with a girl. Coincidence? I think not. Uh, Brother Mike's not here tonight, so I'm going to go ahead and do the budget. Uh, estimated $20 million. A lot of damn money. I don't know where that was. Uh, probably for the prom, honestly. That place looked expensive. No shit. Idris Elba. <laughs> yeah, Idris Elba, Elba probably. Elba by himself. Opening weekend, it made in the U.S. $20,804,000. Uh, gross in the U.S., $43,800,000. And worldwide gross... Over $57 million, so not bad at all. Probably made its money back about. Yeah, probably so. All right, uh, we're done with fun facts. Let's go ahead and jump into our rating, favorite kill, least favorite kill. Anybody in particular want to go first? Dustin, you want to go first since uh, we already know how you feel? <laughs> yeah, let's do it because it can only go up from there. Um, so we'll start with the kills. My least favorite kill, I mean, they, they pretty much all sucked which is understandable because it's a PG-13 movie. Like, they're all off-screen, or if they are on screen, we don't actually see the the impact or the cut, the slash. We just see, like, the motion of it. Um, but Detective Nash has sucked even more because how the hell did he get murked in his own patrol car while he's looking for the guy that kills him? Um, exactly. Like, that was stupid. And then it's just a, a slight little cut to the throat. Like, as little bit of blood that came out, he wouldn't have bled out by the time that uh, wind got to him. So that one sucked. My favorite kill, if I had to pick one, was Lisa's because it at least had that cool blood splatter that I mentioned uh, going up on the, the plastic that's hanging in the construction site there. So at least we got that. That's the most blood you see in the whole movie. Um, as far as the movie, my summary and my uh, final rating, um, not good. It's I watched it three times this week. I will never watch it again, confidently say that, unless, God forbid, years down the road I have kids and they want to get into horror and we've seen everything that they can, their poor little hearts can handle. I might throw this on just to show them something. 
but um, oh it's just very. This is like a this is like a TV movie. This is like an after school special. This is bad acting, other than the big name actors, I think. And it's not actually it's not the acting that's bad. It's the dialogue that's bad. Um, it's like they were Saved by the Bell make. after school special. It's like Saved by the Bell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they were given chicken shit and expected to make chicken soup with the dialogue, and it just it wasn't happening. Or chicken salad, whatever this expression is. Um, not good. Doesn't get any better or worse. It's pretty much flat throughout the entire movie. I gave it a three and a quarter. And so when I mentioned you mentioned the original, you said you'd give it in a three three and a half range. Yeah, the OG I'd give a three seven five three point seven five. So it's really like splitting hairs. The only reason I gave that one a little bit better is because I can blame it on it's of the era. This one had no excuse to be as bad as it was. All right, I'll go next. Uh, favorite kill, I agree with you, Dustin. Favorite, uh, Lisa, I wrote she's a likable character throughout until her pursuit scene where she just couldn't keep quiet for anything and the throat slash was different with a nice blood splash. So I agree with you about the, the blood splatter. I did like that. Worst kill, I just wrote a lot to choose from. But I'm going to go with all the people we just find dead, like the dad, the brother, Officer Nash, the other det- or other cop in the backyard. I just picked all of them. Uh, rating, I just wrote a little summary. I think this movie is the epitome of a PG-13 2000s teen horror. It's handicapped by its lackluster. I said lackluster too. Damn it, Kevin. You, to- you stole my damn thunder. It's, <laughs> it's handicapped. I, no, no joke. I wrote this like an hour before we started. It's handicapped by its lackluster kills and repetitive story. Also, some nitpicky stuff like how big these damn closets are for this killer to hide in. Uh, Nash not waiting inside the house instead of in the car. And not just getting Donna out of the place soon as the killer escaped. Uh, however, the cast to me is likable because the, like, the scenario seems realistic. The drama, the struggles. Uh, I'm a fan of Brittany Snow, two-time DGOT alumni Idris Elba. And although almost unrecognizable, three-time alum James Ransone. Anywho, just wrapping up, this movie is just good popcorn entertainment to me and an easy watch. I gave it a 5.75. Same as The Nightmare on Elm Street. Okay. Uh, wow. All right. Um, so my favorite death is actually Claire, uh, mostly just because I thought that it was – I liked the hearing the tendon being, you know, torn as, as he's stabbing him. My least favorite death. I really hated Bobby, even though the hotel worker that was looking for the maid that was strangled was, was so horrendous. It was like, I, we didn't even talk about that kill, but God almighty, that was horrible. Um, <clears throat> as far as the summary goes, like I said, in my opening, it's really a throwback to a nineties movie for me. I think the original gets the love because of Jamie Lee Curtis being in it. But I also think that if you watch that without the nostalgic glasses, it's pretty awful. And I don't really know how you could like that. But, hey, some people do. And obviously a lot of people, judging by the IMDb scores. Uh, but as far as this one goes, I don't think this does anything great. I'll admit that. But but it's also just enjoyable for me to watch. It's just it's pretty average as a whole, but I, I liked it. And we talked about it off air, and Dustin mentioned it in the last set of scenes. It's a good introductory horror movie, you know, and I actually put that to the test because, in fact, my 11-year-old son watched it with me and was on the edge of his seat the whole time. So, anyway, the ending is is the only low part for me, or I would have knocked this up to I Know What You Did Last Summer territory, but I'm going to give it a 6.75 despite the third act. Okay. Well, Brian is definitely bringing the average up. Uh, that gives us a five and a quarter composite average. 
And I want to admit that, Dustin, I had this at a 7.25, but listening to some very good points that you actually made during the show that I had never thought of, I was like, okay, well, that makes that, – that you're right. Oh, you're right. You're right. It did bring it down a little okay. bit for me. Okay. See? Yeah, see? It's all logic. <laughs> it's, it's something. I don't know. Anywho, y'all got any final thoughts on prom night before we shout out our blood donors? All right. Uh, just want to say thank you one more time. I can't stress enough how appreciative we are to all of our blood donors. Uh, it's very tough times economically for all of us. So any money that's donated is, we put it to good use. We promise that. Uh, our camper level reoccurring are Clayton J, Nina, Michelle Mirza, Andrew Ferguson, Carrie Adams, the Horror Movie Crew Podcast, Alex Seligson, Eric Doolittle, and Sean Irwin. Our camp counselor reoccurring are Hunter Nelson, Dennis Kennedy, Edwin Hernandez-Gunn, Joe Swinford, Jennifer Davis from the Too Close to Home podcast, Karen, Heather Smith, and Kylie Denise, all the way from Australia. Big shout out to her. Uh, some legendary blood donors we have film reviews to do are new, uh, new teammate Kevin Scanlon and Michael Azelson. And we also have a new final guy donor, Mr. Christian Cunningham. Just want to thank every single one of you blood donors. It truly means a lot to all of us Absolutely. that you that you help us out financially because it's not free to uh, make a good sounding podcast. It takes a lot of blood, sweat, and tears and money to make it. So we really appreciate it. Uh, we're not. I'm not going to announce what our next theme is because I'm going to make some TikToks. Brian's going to make a awesome graphic. Just stay tuned, and uh, I'm excited for next month because next month is very important for October as well, and I'm really looking forward to it, and I think the fans will like what we're doing as well. Uh, any final thoughts, guys? Big shout-out to Kevin Scanlon. Join the team. Going to shout him out again. He is awesome. He's done some incredible threads on Twitter with you know just show statistics. Uh, if you're on Twitter, go check those out. They're incredible. Uh, any final thoughts, guys, before we get out of here? Oh, geez, no pressure, though. Now I have to go make an incredible graphic. Okay, great. <laughs> you always do, brother. I didn't hate Maybe it. It was good. Go watch it. I'll, I'll probably like this better than your pick next month. Uh, anywho, uh, y'all have a good one. Just want to remind everybody. Oh.